Louise McSharry on 2FM. Well, now it is time for us to talk about the week's news with Ellen Coyne, who is joining us now. Ellen Coyne, of course, news correspondent at the Irish Independent. Ellen, how are you doing? I'm not too bad, Louise. How are you? I am well, and I'm excited to catch up on the news because I have been entirely disengaged. I know. <laughs> so <laughs> this is as much for me as it is anyone else. An extra weight of responsibility. This week. It also means if I say something wrong, you're not going to know. No, exactly. Yeah, so. But I won't do that, I promise. Okay. Um, so starting off with COVID, yes. um, we'll start off with the bad news and then quickly move to the good news. So the infections are up. Uh, last night, they reported 1,501 new cases. And to put that into context, that is high. It's the highest daily number since the 23rd of January. And we remember what stage we were at then when there was 1,910 new cases. Hospitalizations are also up. They reported yesterday 169 people in hospital, which was higher than about 106 the week before. However, the number of patients in ICU has fallen. So yesterday, the figure was 23, which was three fewer than the day before. So that is a good thing. Um, But on the up... The vaccination programme has really, really kicked in. So over this weekend, the walk-in centres have started to open. And if you want a positive buzz over the next ad break, go on to social media and look at the queues outside City West and Grace Dooms. It's savage. It looks like forbidden fruit. It's just loads of teenagers (laughs) in a line. It's something I haven't seen in a very long time. Um, And the traffic is apparently bananas around there because the demand is just so high. These walk-in vaccination centres are for everybody age 16 and up it's for anybody who hasn't had their first appointment yet so if if you're someone who's waiting for your second unfortunately this isn't for you and while you can obviously walk in without an appointment you do need to bring a PPS number a phone number an email an air code and a photo ID that's just so they can get their vaccine certificate to you when they need to Um, obviously there is loads of really good reasons for having these set up at the moment but one of the main ones is it's going to be August tomorrow lots of people are on holidays and the idea is if you maybe get called for your vaccine when you are on holiday and it's a holiday you've been waiting to take for like a year and a half yeah um these there's dozens of centers all over the country that are available to you and it doesn't matter if you are down in Kerry and you go to one they will absolutely arrange for your second appointment to be closer to home to wherever you happen to live so um things are looking positive with the vaccination rates at the moment and Tony Holhin was saying during the week that if we experience a similar uptake in younger people as we've had in the over 60s then Ireland will be in a strong uh, position against COVID-19 and the variant that we know about so far yeah. because compared to other countries our vaccine uptake rate has been very very yeah, very sky good sky high it's brilliant and actually just as another kind of positive story um, even though it's not that positive but it kind of is uh, a rela- relative of mine got COVID having been fully vaccinated he still managed to get the Delta variant but he didn't pass it on to a single person because the vaccine is very effective in in decreasing the contagious element of the virus and even his wife who he was sleeping beside didn't get it yeah so you know the vaccines work absolutely and you know we are and he wasn't he was sick but he wasn't that sick he has he has like some sinus issues anyway so we thought it was just that that's like stories like that I think are a real bam especially when obviously we all kind of get the heebie-jeebies when we hear about people who have been vaccinated getting COVID but we know that no vaccine is 100% effective and at the moment we're kind of heading into a very new important public information campaign because the government is working on getting vaccines for 12 to 15 year olds over the next couple of weeks people are kind of nervous about vaccinating their children particularly you know when they've been hearing the argument all along that children have fared very well with this virus but we have to bear in mind that there are people with children who have pre-existing condi- conditions who've effectively been um, cocooning since March yeah. 2020 um, and you know I think the public information campaign about that is going to be very very important particularly when we're coming into this time of the year when schools will be coming back. And also surely there's you know it's the variants 
Absolutely. that we need to worry yeah. about. Like yeah. the longer anyone is getting COVID, the more likelihood there is that we'll have a ne- another variant that could be maybe not defeated by the vaccine. So, yeah, I mean, it's my my four year old is begging for his vaccine. Oh, my God. Like, it's hilarious. He went from being really scared and me saying, don't worry, you don't like you don't have to get vaccinated. That won't be for a really long time. So now he's like watching everybody else be excited about getting their vaccines. <laughs> he's like, Mom, I want my vaccine. <laughs> That's really cute. Yeah. Desperate for it. Like, really, truly. So we'll see how it all goes. Um, OK, so that's all great. Um, and then in other good news, Stephen Donnelly has said that he thinks that, uh, you know, frontline workers should get a bonus payment. Yeah, like, um, <laughs> I want to say Captain Obvious, but it actually is a very kind thing to say. So he was asked about it during the week when he was down in Limerick. You know, people were saying at this point when we're reflecting back on the amazing work that the frontline workers did, is there going to be any kind of reward for them? And he was saying, yes, of course. And when a journalist asked, you know, do you mean like a financial reward? He was saying, yes, I want to see something done. Yes, I absolutely really do. I think our healthcare teams have been incredible. Um, we're still fighting the fight, but I definitely want to see some form of recognition for the extraordinary work that they've all put in. And I think that this is particularly important when we consider um, just one aspect of the health service, the student nurses and the work that mm. they did and how they weren't really properly compensated, compensated for yeah. that mm. the whole way through. And I think maybe now might be pro- maybe the correct time to have a whole discussion about um how we value certain work in society and how certain jobs are remunerated because we know that without the health service we would have been flailing over this yeah. last year. Um, now let's unfortunately talk again about the maternity hospitals. Yeah. So uh, we know that the situation we're in with society reopening they're talking about having 40,000 people at the GAA finals next month. Before any man texts in to explain to me what a false dichotomy is I obviously understand the difference between a GAA stadium and a maternity hospital but at the moment maternity hospitals are still facing some of the most severe COVID-19 restrictions. We know that in May, the HSE kind of set some very... I would say basic guidelines that um, partners, all partners should be in during active labour, um, not early labour, during postnatal visits, visits of at least half an hour after your baby is born and to be allowed to attend what can be very stressful 20-week scans. As far as we know... Um, all of the hospitals have been following those. But in June, they were kind of saying, you know, that's not really enough for people who have very difficult high-risk pregnancies. So yeah. the guidance was, if you're going to an early pregnancy assessment unit, which is where you would go if you're experiencing recurrent miscarriages, ectopic pregnancies, if you have a very high-risk pregnancy and you're going to your appointments, you know, 20 weeks, 24 weeks, and if there has been an emergency late in the pregnancy, you should be allowed to have your partner with you. I think most people would agree that that is common sense. But unfortunately, of the 19 maternity hospitals across Ireland, seven of them are still not meeting those guidelines. Those guidelines? Yes. Those very, (laughs) like, bare minimum. Yeah. The, like, so apparently everyone is meeting the, your partner can be there when you're literally giving birth. But if you are going in for, you've had yeah. you know, a very difficult history yeah. with miscarriage. You're potentially being told you've lost your pregnancy. Exactly. That's the reason that those appointments yeah. are being listed because, you know, God forbid, someone is alone. go in and get bad news and you don't want to be on your own for it. And Seven as someone texted in the last time we spoke about this, not only are they alone hearing the news, they then have to go outside and tell their partner. On the phone. Or or outside in person, but like you, they have to be the ones to give the to bad bear news. The news. Yeah, and I know like at a maternity, like when I was going through my appointments, I really wish I had someone else there to like help retain information. Yeah, because when you're pregnant, like I hate buying into this idea that women are like meeker or more fragile when we're pregnant. But like, there's a lot going on. You're vulnerable, and when you get information like that, I really would felt like I wanted my partner there to be an advocate to kind of retain information. Like even after 
perfect appointments where everything went well afterwards I was kind of like um, like trying to remember what had yeah. happened and the reason that these are listed you know the early pregnancy assessment units is because often someone can be coming out with bad news and I think that everyone agrees that at this point in time particularly when your partner could be fully vaccinated it doesn't really seem fair for people to be on their own and I know that almost all of the most powerful men in the country have kind of said at this point that they don't believe these restrictions should be in place the government is saying that you know they can't force the units the units have a relative level of autonomy I really think and hope that after all this is over there's a proper kind of review of why these restrictions are still going on at a point in time when almost everything else in society is up and running and hopefully fingers crossed back to normal yeah 100% 100% okay now let's talk about climate change (laughs) Right, so there's a really interesting uh, interview in the journal this week with Vice Admiral Mark Mellish. So he's the Chief of Staff of the Defence Forces. He's been in that role for a number of years and he's due to retire in a couple of months. But as well as that job, he also happens to have a PhD in Environmental and Ecosystem Governments. And he was kind of saying that... um, he believes that climate change is one of the biggest threats to Ireland. So obviously he has academic expertise in this, but through his job, he's seen how often the defence forces are being called to these extreme weather events. And he gave a couple examples of how, you know, a huge part of Killarney National Park burned down in the middle of April. Like that is absolutely unprecedented. Mm. And anyone who lives in Hoth has probably seen loads and loads of helicopters going up and down over the last few weekends, particularly in the hot weather. Um, and he was kind of pointing out that that is very unusual too. Um, and I think that it's uh, it's kind of, it's obviously a chilling thing to hear, but I think it's very important when you hear it coming from people um, in those roles and from that perspective, yeah. because I think we've seen extreme weather events all across Europe over the past few weeks in Germany, the floods in London, in the UK. Um, and when you're kind of combining it with this, it really is giving us a picture of us the existential threat of climate change that seems to be very, very present and very active at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Um, Now, Michael D. Higgins has been um, complaining about the volume of legislation he's receiving. That's right. So when a bill goes through the Oireachtas, before it becomes law, it has to go to the president for him to kind of check it over, make sure it's constitutional and sign off on it. But politicians have kind of been doing the equivalent of like when you're in college and you leave all your coursework (laughs) to like the week before you go home for Christmas. Um, He's just getting a rake of stuff before the summer holidays and before the Christmas holidays and he was kind of pointing out so in the three weeks since the start of July he got 19 bills nine of them were on one day and he had to basically have all of the work done on them within seven days and to put that into context in the six months before he only got 13 bills for consideration and the same thing happened in 2020 there was 32 bills sent to the president uh, last year and 21 of them were sent in the weeks uh, kind of coming up to summer and Christmas recess so the government is running out of time and it's just trying to get everything yeah. done very, very quickly. Um, this is very important because a lot of other TDs and senators have kind of said that they were also a little bit stressed out by how rushed things were. And I think just in the context of COVID, like speaking for myself, I'm aware of what the government is doing in terms of the pandemic. I don't have a clue what they're doing in terms of other legislation so like when COVID is taking over there's less scrutiny for other issues and media scrutiny obviously shouldn't have that much power in a democracy but it does have some power so if bills are being rushed through without proper scrutiny without proper time and without proper media attention and then are landing in front of the president when he's also trying to sign off on eight others in the same Mm. week problems can arise it's a real problem so it's really really important okay let's talk about the Olympics Um, we have had a good week as Irish people we have had a great week so we have two medals confirmed so far Uh, gold in the men's rowing bronze in the women's rowing and we've also basically been guaranteed at least a bronze from Aidan Walsh in the boxing but I think he has the semi-final at 2am tomorrow night if anyone's 
one wants to stay up for it when he could get silver. Um, we've been doing really, really well. It has been kind of in the middle of the night. So I think from 3 a.m. this morning, we had sailing, golf and um, uh athletics so Sarah Lavin competed this morning and she came seventh in the women's 100 meter hurdles unfortunately she didn't qualify but that was her second fastest time Very ever good. and Mark English uh, competed in the men's 800 meter heats he did well but um, unfortunately it wasn't enough for a qualifier sport um, but Rory McIlroy and Shane Lowry were doing really well this morning and to put on my little fake sports presenter hat <laughs> they're really in the mix tomorrow <laughs> I don't know exactly what that phrase means, but I think it means they did good. Yeah. Um, so there's still a full week left of um, of loads and loads of stuff to watch. And I think if you download the Olympics app, you can actually filter it by country. Because I was try I was there with spreadsheets, like trying to navigate <laughs> when and where I was supposed to be watching what. Um, but there's loads and loads of good stuff to watch, not only over the next week, but even over the next 24 hours. Great. Um, and staying with the Olympics, I love this story about Pink offering to pay the uh, fines for Norway's women's handball. Yeah, so um, the Olympics kind of brought up a big discussion about um, equality and sexism in sport. So the Nor women's Nor- Norwegian women's <laughs> kind of blended them together. Nor women, I Nor like women. It. Yeah. Maybe they'll adopt that. Uh, they were competing in the European Beach Handball Championships, and I didn't know, but apparently, the f- while men can play in shorts, women were expected to play in bikini bottoms. Obviously, not for like sporting reasons, for aesthetics. Um, and they decided as a protest to wear shorts instead, and they were fined one thousand five hundred euro. But Pink kind of stepped in and tweeted and was saying that this was like absolute BS, and she was more than happy to pay the fine for them. And it did come up in Tokyo as well because the German uh, women's gymnastic team staged their own protest. If you've seen gym- gymnastics, like the leotards that they wear, are I would say aggressively high yes they're a real kind of love island aesthetic on the bottom half well you see them frequently having to pull them out of their arses so which like, <laughs> when you're going can for you imagine how annoying that would be going for gold and the world is watching you <laughs> yeah. like I feel like that should be the last thing that you have to worry about so Germany decided to do like these kind of full body ones and if you look them up they look savage they look yeah. like absolute superheroes men in gymnastics have always been able to wear pants and a kind Leggings, of like tank top yeah. um, and the German team was just saying that this was actually a statement against what they described the sexualization of the sport um, and they were saying that this is about what feels comfortable we wanted to show that every woman everybody should decide what to wear so I really hope that's a trend that's followed up love it by other countries love it Ellen thank you so much I'm all caught up now <laughs> and I hope everybody else is too <laughs> that's Ellen Coyne news correspondent at the Irish Independent thank you so much Louise Mac- Sherry on 2FM.